Alright, you primitive screwheads, listen up. Oh my god, I smell shenanigan! I have no idea what's going on, but I am excited! Yeah, baby, yeah! Ever dance with the devil in the pale Inconceivable! Cowabunga! I thought this was a party! It's two Moskis and a podcast. With Eric and Jeff. Alrighty, well, hello everyone, and welcome to Two Nerdskis in a Podcast, the one show where two Nerdskis come together and talk about everything pop culture and entertainment. As always, I'm one of your Nerdskis, Eric, and I would like to welcome you to the return of the well, of the four-hour-long special that is, in installments, of course, the Reese Special. Okay, now, um, if you don't know, just in case what I'm talking about, if this is your first time ever listening to one of our specials, if you're like one of our listeners, she's just like, what, what, what's what's the re-special? And this is your first time hearing about it. So, first of all, um, there is a part one, uh, if you're interested. So, go ahead and take a listen to that one. Go ahead and, and take a look at our back catalog for that one. But, just in case, uh, essentially, the re-special was a four-hour-long conversation that we had with our buddy Reese that we hadn't talked to in, like, how long prior to that? And uh, it was recorded all the way back in January of 2021, which was, as of this recording, only, like, maybe three, four months ago at this point. Um, so, yeah, it was it was quite the conversation, to say the least. A lot of stuff was, like, spilled and whatnot. Um, so we decided... Uh, we're definitely doing this, but we're going to upload this. We're going to do it in installments because, come on, who has the patience to listen to, like, a four-hour-long conversation, right? Like, who has who has the patience for that? So we decided to just cut it up in installments, maybe an hour long each, see where it goes from there. But, um, so, yeah, I, I, I highly recommend for anyone who wants to – who's listening, uh, listen to the first part. It's, it's uh, there in our – catalog of installments it's an installment special not a main installment just to clarify that too so um in the meantime so when we last did when we last checked into the reese special we were just you know getting introduced with reese talking about like the state of things and i think we started talking about um wonder woman 84 and briefly and briefly talking about that 70s show with a little bit of like marvel here and there so second part of this is Jeff going into an impassioned speech or monologue about the state of Star Wars. So everyone, um, <laughs> in case you're wondering when we're going to be back to main installments, we will, we will. So I'll check back with you guys later. And uh, in the meantime, here is part two of the re-special. Please enjoy. So going back... is. <laughs> So going back to going back to Marvel and DC, I mean, it pretty much covers another topic that Re- that Reese brought up in his own stuff. But um, what I kind of want to discuss real quickly, and we've hinted at it, was Rise of Skywalker. But like, as we all know, fucking like, well, hold on, hold on, well, hold on. As we all know, The Mandalorian's a fucking huge success. Uh, that show is pretty much redeemed all of Star Wars. I know how Jeff fucking feels about the finale of season two, but um, but of course we all know that there's like a whole. There's like, you want to talk about too much star, too much Marvel 
I feel like there's too much Star Wars coming out for me. I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, any anything that Star Wars is great, and I hope it's all great, and like all the shows are great. Like I'm looking. I mean, Breeze, I know you've seen Clone Wars. I'm sure you're. I'm pretty sure you loved Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka, and that you're definitely looking forward to Ahsoka's show, and that Thrawn's going to get a live action um, um, appearance, but like. I don't know. I, for me, I'm like, I, I kind of feel like we're getting a little too much Star Wars, much like we're getting a little too much Marvel and superhero stuff. So, I mean, like, I'm kind of curious to hear how you feel about this. I think at the moment we're not, but I definitely could see some of those anxieties creeping up with, like, the latest uh, reveal of, like, all the Star Wars TV shows that came up in December, I think it was, during that Disney conference, where it was like, oh, this is getting a show, and this is getting a show, and this random, this random this random side character from this show is getting their own spinoff show and Cassie and Andor for some reason is getting a show. So like, I could definitely see like, I can definitely see like some star Wars fatigue and anxiety setting up in the future. But again, I'll have to, I, I'll really have to wait and see when that happens right now. I think it's, I think it's fine, especially cause we don't really have any movies on the horizon except for the, uh, the rogue squadron film coming out, which I was I'm, just about to say, um, I don't think, I don't think a lot of people are looking forward to that movie now because the director of that Wonder movie Woman. is also Patty Jenkins. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yay! <laughs> it's also Patty Jenkins. Okay, I just want to... I'm still looking I just forward, say, I'm still looking forward to it because this film does feel like a huge passion project for her. Like, if you saw, like, that intro video, like, I genuinely feels like she has her heart in this. And, like, I, again, I had to wait until I see a trailer and I'd be lying if I said that Wonder Woman didn't sour it a little bit for me. But, you know, I love Rogue Squadron and... Granted, I would have I'd much rather get a game of Rogue Squadron. Please do it, Lucasfilm Games. Now that you're now that you're about to detach from EA in a couple of years, now that it's a now that it's official and all that, we can talk about that later too if y'all want. But Absolutely. now that's happening, Not please really. give us a Rogue Squadron game. And I hope okay. the I mean, Rogue Squadron movie is good. Well, too. I mean, I just want to say that I don't think I mean like that's just one bump in the road for Patty Jenkins. I mean like because I know she's done some pretty good things in the past i mean like mm-hmm. for all uh, there, she she had a miniseries on tnt that chris pine starred in that was based upon like the black dahlia murders and whatnot from all intents and purposes i heard that was pretty damn good um so like i it's like i it sounds like if that sound it, the way you're talking about this reese it sounds like maybe she, she didn't fully have her head in the game for wonder woman's but it sounds like she might have it more in rogue squadron so i'm very curious to see how it turns out i mean obviously we're all gonna have that feeling of like oh this is gonna be like wonder woman 84 again Ugh, but you hope that you hope that she has her heart and soul in this. i mean it i don't like i don't fully i don't fully know how much how much she was in inve- I, I i assume she was she was somewhat interested in wonder woman at least but like from from the interview she's given afterwards it does sound like there was a lot of hostility between her and the studio uh, how to how much of a degree that was again i don't know i don't know the full extent obviously because i wasn't there but it sounds like there was you know some pushing and tugging between her versus the studio and what they wanted in because i remember there there was uh, something talking about how the studio they didn't want both the mall scene and the um that little prologue of her in uh Themyscira in the movie mm. she talked about and that was like something that was like non-negotiable like both of those have to be in the film which uh, which, if I'm being, which if i'm being honest i don't really care about either of those scenes especially the yeah, mall I, didn't, scene I didn't, didn't really, really care about anything. that movie either but um so my take on on the whole thing so with uh 
if it wasn't for the Mandalorian, Star Wars would be a dead property because the sequel trilogy shat the bed. Every movie just made less and less returns financially. Merchandising sales were in the toilet. There was no enthusiasm by the time The Rise of Skywalker came out because The Last Jedi just it split everyone in half on uh, on their opinions and it just to the point where Star Wars was was just not fun to talk about anymore. Rise of Skywalker united everyone though cuz everyone fucking hates that movie. <laughs> exactly. But um and uh and then Rise of Skywalker comes out and uh I mean if you ask me personally, I think it's one of the worst sequels ever made. It found a way to do everything wrong <laughs> fundamentally. And with uh but the Mandalorian comes out and I think I think the fact that there wasn't that much hype for it when it uh, when it came out. It was just it was one of those things where uh, where it, people were curious, but again, Star Wars hype was kind of at an all time low uh, by the by the time because uh, uh, Rise of Skywalker was coming out and the trailers were terrible and just no one cared. And the Mandalorian comes out and it gets people excited again, and then. Uh, and then season two comes out and the finale happens. And the uh, I think the video of, uh, uh, of Star Wars Theory uh, reacting to it, I think, says it all of the true impact of, of that moment. Because Luke was treated so terribly and disrespectfully in The Last Jedi. And seeing him come back as the hero that we all remember made all the difference in the world to the point where Disney servers crashed that night because everyone just couldn't believe it. And, and I think off of that goodwill, Star Wars has another chance to win people back. The more they distance themselves from the sequel trilogy, the better because the sequel trilogy is a lost cause. No one gives a shit about Ray or Poe or Kylo Ren or Finn. You had your opportunity to make those the new faces of the saga while treating the old characters with the care and respect they deserved, and you fucked it up. So now, the best bet Disney can make is expand the universe with new stories, bring in new creatives to tell new stories bring in different interpretations of different elements of uh, throughout the galaxy and just experiment, see where things take you. Like, like I'm not excited for every project that they announced, but I'm happy that we can at least pick kind of pick and choose like, Oh, I, uh, I don't know how I feel about uh, like, like I'm, I'm sure the, I'm sure it will be good, but I'm just using it as an example I'm not as into the Bad Batch, but Kenobi looks really good. Or, oh, I'm not really into this droid show, but, oh, man, Ahsoka looks awesome. I think giving uh, giving the opportunity for fans to uh, to kind of pick their, uh, kind of pick and choose how they like their Star Wars. Because I think that more or less fits into what Star Wars fandom is because before Disney acquired the property, 
there was the the classic debate between the original trilogy and the prequels and there were two different factions who had two different perspectives on everything and then there were people who just love it all and i feel like uh that was more or less the uh the better way to to have a fandom rather than pure hostility because with uh, because nowadays it's uh the insults between fans uh or quote unquote fans uh get more personal and hostile beyond the point of just talking about Star Wars because if you go back to the to the debates between you know the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy it was the arguments were still rooted around a love for Star Wars even the people who were defending the prequels passionately were defending it because of a love of Star Wars and they just saw things from a different perspective that the original trilogy fans just didn't see. And that's what I think Star Wars needs to go back to is the discussion that is still centered around a love of Star Wars. And I think, uh, yeah, I, I just think the all the projects getting announced, like, could it be seen as fatigue? Yeah, I guess, but... Star Wars has always been a milked to death property. And I feel like for the longest time, Disney didn't take full advantage of uh, full advantage of it because all the, uh, all their recent attempts to branch out just weren't any, just felt safe because rogue one was okay. Solo was, I thought was, was kind of bad. And, but both of them, uh, both of them felt so safe and that and that again just didn't keep the enthusiasm around Star Wars alive because th those were in between the sequel trilogy coming out because that was already that was already uh, kind of deflating the enthusiasm around the brand and those movies just weren't enough help to to keep it going and so and uh, then, you know, Galaxy's Edge comes out and it models everything after the sequel trilogy, basically. And it it doesn't it doesn't help. It doesn't make any difference. And the merchandising sales in, in the toilet. But what still sells are Luke Skywalker action figures. Those sell not the last Jedi Luke Skywalker, Luke Skywalker from a New Hope or Return of the Jedi, Empire, anything from anything from the original trilogy, because Luke Skywalker is a symbol of hope, optimism, and and I, I think that's especially right now in crazy fucked up times. I think there was there was no better time to see Luke Skywalker in his truest form. And and I think it it just brought it brought everyone together. Uh, you know, it's even if there were fundamental disagreements on some of the newer movies, people were still able to come together and just kind of universally agree. That was amazing. So I'm kind of I'm kind of iffy on uh, on the future just because I I don't like the leadership behind Lucasfilm and as long as 
those positions are held, I think it's going to be very difficult for things to be perfect. Uh, but as long as as long as creators are able to work on what they uh, are able to tell the story they want to tell, then I think things might be okay. And especially with uh, uh, with the split of of EA, I, I think I think things are 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 looking up because for a good while it was looking pretty grim and I admittedly kind of fell out of love for star Wars. I mean, like not like, like not saying, Oh, I hate star Wars now, but the it's kind of feeling mad to it. It's like, Oh, it's another star Wars thing. Yeah. Like, like the same level of love. And cause, cause like I'm, I was thinking back to, the build up to the force awakens, for example, like when, uh, cause that was probably my most anticipated movie of all time. Like I watched yeah. those trailers countless times. I got emotional seeing those because I was mostly, I was excited to see a brand new fresh story. I was ready to see all these classic heroes that I grew up with together again. And I got neither of those. I loved, I loved the movie when it first came out. But once I saw the trilogy as a whole, it just gets worse and worse every time I think back on them, especially with the fact that they had no plan going into these movies and knowing what Colin Trevorrow had planned for episode nine. Like, I don't know if it would have been a great movie, but it would have been, I mean, just based off the story alone, it would have been would better have been than, than what it would have been better than what we were given, especially because. That uh, because the rise of Skywalker is meant to be treated as the true finale, not the return of the Jedi, not good conquering evil, not Luke, like uh, not Luke convincing his father to renounce the dark side and come back to the light, not Luke being tempted by hatred like his father was, not not Vader throwing his. Uh, throwing his master over the rail and and fulfilling that Jedi prophecy that he was always destined to fulfill. It was about it was about this boring nothing character who was always awesome at everything and didn't have to work for a fucking thing. And she she takes Luke's name, she takes Luke's lightsaber, she takes Luke's house. And none of it feels earned. I am all the Sith. And I am all the Jedi for some reason. And and yeah, because and the, the fact that the fact that they bring back the Emperor for n with no explanation, I think is one of the I love Ian McDermott with all my heart. But the fact that he was brought back, I think, showcases how creatively bankrupt the prime individuals in developing this trilogy were. Uh, and that includes Bob Iger, Kathleen Kennedy, JJ Abrams, Ryan Johnson. I blame all of those people equally because they had no idea the potential that they truly had because when they acquired the brand, they had, they had all these script treatments from George Lucas and you had Mark Hamill, 
Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, all those actors alive and signed on to come back. And you don't even give them one scene altogether. And I think that was, I think that stands as probably the greatest missed opportunity in recent memory. And I think it's, and we're never going to get that now, unfortunately with, you know, Carrie Fisher passing away a few years ago now. Exactly. Exactly. And so I think, because I think the, the sequel trilogy leaves such a permanent, a permanent burn on, uh, on star Wars fandom that, the only way for the brand to continue thriving going forward is to just distance themselves. And I think it's bullshit, but if it, if it turned out to be true, I would be so happy if they retconned the sequel trilogy and, and just said, like, oh, never oh yeah, like it, it probably won't happen, but my God, that, uh, that would, that would, that would right so many wrongs. So I think, uh, uh, I don't think every project that they announce will be good. Like I, I don't give a fuck about Cassian Andor, uh, because for one, he, he dies. So, you know, it's, it's the same thing with, with black widow. I know the fate of this character. So why should I feel any, any ounce of, uh, of intensity if this character is in peril at all you know and uh, but other ones you know I'm I'm insane incredibly excited for I mean most importantly uh, Obi-Wan I I can't I can't wait for that I think it's uh, especially with Deborah Chow directing the series you know she directed some of the best episodes of season one with Hayden Christensen coming back it, that will definitely depend on how they utilize him, uh, especially since Kennedy said that it'll be the rematch of the century. So I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know. Uh, yeah. We'll we'll see how they go about that. Um, but just the fact that that they're bringing Hayden back and you uh, McGregor being on being on board, because uh, I think I think the prequels have gotten a more favorable reputation after the sequel trilogy. And I, I admittedly like them a little bit more now in retrospect, I mean, at least, at least with episode two, uh, cause I used to say episode two was the worst one. That's definitely not the case anymore. Uh, it's still a bad movie, but in terms of, uh, I at least am more interested in the story now and especially how that builds uh how that establishes the building blocks leading up to uh to the original trilogy like i find that just a little more interesting and if you take out the dialogue i think anakin's turn uh or like his arc you know becoming darth vader i think is really well done in retrospect especially how it's done in, in revenge of the sith like yeah that the actual turn is a little rushed but his motivation and how he's constantly taunted by by uh, by Palpatine, I I think it's very well done, and I think now it's finally getting a little more uh, a little more positive credit behind it. And uh, my God, I've been ranting for so long. I apologize. <laughs> well, no, I, that I goes to show. I didn't want to interrupt you because you're on such a good streak. 
No, no, I'm just, I, I just, you know, that just goes to show just how passionate you are about Star Wars. I mean, I know you've, I know how much you've left Star Wars for the longest time. And I mean, I, I want it to, I want it to re- succeed most importantly. And I, I hate because I get no joy in saying how much I hate the sequel trilogy because I want to love everything Star Wars. But if I, if I just said I loved the rise of Skywalker, I would be lying to myself. And if I'm doing that, then I'm not having fun while watching it. And even for how flawed, uh, you know, like the, uh, the, the prequels are, I still have fun with them. And, but, but I'm still able to point out their, their, their faults and, but still able to pick out the, uh, pick out the, uh, the, the good elements and in certain cases, like especially in episode three, I feel the the good outweighs the bad by by a lot. But I don't feel that's the case in the sequel trilogy. And especially because they didn't have a fucking plan. Because when you watch the prequels, you can tell George planned that all out. I mean, not everything lines up perfectly into the original trilogy. Like there's still some inconsistencies and plot holes and everything, but, but the way that uh, Palpatine's rise to power, at least knew where it was going. Yeah. Like, like the way, the way Palpatine's rise to power is established and concluded. You can tell that that was planned from point A to point B. And, and you're, and you're able to say, okay, that, that is a complete trilogy right there. And when, uh, and when you watch the sequels, it it's just one giant creative tug of war where JJ says, I'm taking it this way. And then Ryan says, no, I want to subvert your expectations. I'm taking it this way. And then he shits the bed in the process. And JJ has be, uh, you know, has to clean up the mess. And being that JJ doesn't have a creative fucking bone in his body is not able to stick the landing. I mean, I, I think he's a, okay action director but but he keeps thinking that he's a writer and he's not he's a terrible storyteller and the fact that that they left him and chris terrio the writer of batman versus superman to stick the landing on what they on the self-proclaimed end of the skywalker saga which is a stupid fucking marketing tactic (laughs) To I be think fair, was, Skywalker doesn't have a Martha moment, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I, Chris Terrio also wrote Argo, but I know what Jeff says about that movie. I'm not too big on Argo. Uh, That's not what I was expecting you to say. I was expecting you to say the classic tr- uh, thing, but whatever. But, uh, but yeah, so in, in the end, I think... Because uh, I, I, I'm trying not to try not to repeat myself too much, but I think at least I'm hoping that you know, being that you know, especially Kathleen Kennedy, because she's the one who approves this shit. I hope that her fuck ups have uh, have basically told her bosses to basically say approve projects. That will actually fucking succeed and just stay out of the creative process because you don't know what you're doing. You were never a creative individual. I think even Steven Spielberg 
quoted that at one point and just Did you really say that at one point i i think so like uh i'm, I'm pretty yeah there's there like an audio recording where uh where i think yeah it was like an audio recording and he said uh uh like kathleen's really good at at interrupting and interjecting ideas like i'm i'm, I'm paraphrasing but that's the gist of what he was saying mm. and not know that and so i think uh because again i i want kathleen kennedy to uh, to do a good job because I thought she could have done a great job when, when she was initially announced as the president, I was completely okay with it because I looked at her resume and figured, yeah, I, I, I think I can see that, but that, but when being a producer and being the individual that's put in, in the position, they're two separate, where, they're two separate that, different things. Well, 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 yeah. Well, let me let me, let me finish my point. When you're when you're a producer, you know you're not calling all the shots. But when you get that big promotion and everything can go your way, and no one is really checking you or telling you, "Hey, maybe this doesn't work," then you get the last Jedi, and your box office returns are cut in half. And then your next installment, riding off the bad reputation of your previous installment, barely crosses the billion dollar, uh, billion dollar line. So you go from two point seven billion to one point three, to like not even one point one. And in between that, Solo didn't even make four hundred million worldwide. So. I'm hoping that her proven track record of of bad decisions, not letting uh, you know constantly firing directors because of creative differences, quote unquote, have have basically put one arm have basically tied one arm behind her back to where she can just sign off on a project, and that's it. I think. The problem with Kathleen Kennedy, maybe is Eric, that you're uh, you're echoing you're echoing quite a bit in your mic. Okay, there well, we go. I think I think the problem with Kathleen Kennedy, probably in this case, the way that Jeff's pointed out is that I think because of the success of Marvel, she's trying to be the next Kevin Feige, and unfortunately, it uh, it backfired in her face. That's what. But- that's but the, the sense I'm getting out of this. But the but the difference is Kevin Feige had a plan. Planned this out. Had, he had a vision. He's mm-hmm. actually a creative individual, and she's not. And when she tries to be, it the it it blows up in everyone's faces. It blows up in her face. It blows up in Disney's face, and it blows up in the faces of the fandom, because Star Wars fans are uh, some are some of the most passionate out there. For better or for worse, trust and, me. I know how Star Trek fans are, and I'm one of them. <laughs> and uh, and so I think the less directly involved she is, you know, because there's there's the whole online war where you know she needs to be fired, which I I, I kind of agreed with. But if she's going to stick around, just just reduce her creative input. And because John Favreau and Dave Filoni clearly know what the fuck they're doing, 
because they the fact that George Lucas shows up on set for the Mandalorian but won't even attend the premiere of the Rise of Skywalker I think kind of shows the disconnect right there and the uh because I, I think you know once because George Lucas entrusted her to carry on his, his legacy and it failed it failed rise. spectacularly however Favreau and Filoni have proven that they have a more fundamental understanding of Star Wars. And I think that's, I think the, uh, I mean, if in a perfect world, uh, Favreau or, or Filoni becomes the new president of Lucasfilm like that, that would be amazing. That probably, I mean, as much as I probably would love to see that happen, it's probably won't happen in the slides just because there are probably some higher ups that really think Kathleen's running the ship. Well, like it's all politics at this point, but I don't see as much as I, again, as much as I would like to see Favreau or Dave Filoni, like take over completely. That's probably, like I said, never going to happen because someone wants to keep Kathleen Kennedy there. And it may not just even be Bob Iger. It might be just their investors. Like, the moment she leaves, like the investors pull out, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, even like, even if Favreau or Filoni aren't involved in, in a a presidential uh, position, then as long as if they're given the opportunity to just head the is, you know, be take on the creative process and development of, of star Wars, you know, uh, TV shows and movies going forward, you know, or have have them handpick the uh, the the creatives to basically be uh, to basically have their own writers room, mm-hmm. because because we've seen what Lucasfilm's own handpicked writers room looks like, because you get you get shit like the High Republic, stuff that no one cares about, and that and it'll be in a Barnes and Noble bargain bin in a couple of months. And because that's the kind of Star Wars that people just don't care about because it's written by people who don't get Star Wars. And I'm not saying that I could do a better job because I couldn't. I'm I'm a fucking idiot. But there's clearly a there's clearly like two different visions of what Star Wars is at Lucasfilm. And I think that's a failure of leadership on Kathleen Kennedy's part, because as a leader, you need to have one defining vision for what you're producing. And if you can't even do that, then there's clearly a problem there. And Favreau and Filoni have kept Star Wars alive. Hmm. Because just imagine where it would be if nothing else has come out after the rise of Skywalker and that's all we had, do you think anyone would still be talking about star Wars right now as it just starts to feel more and more like a distant fad? It's kind of almost similar to what I would say about game of Thrones a little bit. Um, In a way. Yeah. Because game of Thrones, cause I, cause game of Thrones was like a juggernaut through like, for like seven seasons. And when it got to the final eighth season, um, everything was, everything went right except for the writing because 
because well, ob- well, the thing is, you have to understand too is uh, George R. R. Martin had finished the books, and so they were just kind of like trying to create. They're trying to create their own ending to the series. The other problem too is well, well, the well, actually, were, uh, well actually, the writers- well actually, well uh, actually, George R. R. Martin uh, has held off on writing the continuation of the books. So, uh, so what was the, up- is there a reason for why he's holding off on that? From what I've seen, he's basically just been lazy. He, uh, uh, I know he, he has a blog where, uh, he's either complaining about politics or, uh, or posting about sports games, but there's, but there's very little progress actually shown on the next book, which is supposed to be called the winds of winter. Hmm. And from what I, and I think the last game of Thrones book was published in 2000. And so uh, like, I, I might, I might have my dates wrong. Uh, I think he's published other books, but those like, those are like basically prequels. So they're not continuations of where the last book left off. So when game of Thrones was going on, uh, I think, up until it was either season five or six, at that point, that's uh, that uh, that pinpoints where they officially ran out of source material, and so they had to start writing uh, their own stuff. Or the Benioff and Weiss and uh, and the writing team had to come up with their own interpretation of where they think the characters might end up, mm-hmm. and. And at this point, uh, George R. R. Martin was becoming less and less involved with the with the show because when it started, he, uh, I think he wrote a couple of episodes. Like I, I could be totally wrong on that, but uh, but he, he was an executive producer. But at, as it went on, he just he just he just dropped out of it. Yeah, he basically just started saying "fuck this." And mm-hmm. uh, season six comes out, and it's. It's still decently good. Uh, the finale is one of the best is one of the best episodes ever filmed for television. It's absolutely incredible. Is that the Battle of the Bastards one, or yes? Oh, it is. Okay, but uh, but in between the season, there were there were noticeable or there were questionable decisions, but the good definitely outweighed the bad. Season seven comes out, and more problems start surfacing, but there's still just enough good elements to where it, out, it outweighs all the bad stuff is what oh, yeah saying. well yeah well, yeah, um, yeah let me finish uh but then season eight comes out and there's there's a two-year wait between season seven and eight and uh and to and so from where i personally jumped in because my girlfriend was hardcore into this show like when we first started dating she was wearing a bunch of she was wearing a bunch of merch. She she kept uh, telling me how good it was and how I, I need to hop on board on this show. And she was willing to start it from the beginning with me. And we we watched the fuck out of it. And I got incredibly immersed, like breaking bad levels of immersion where I was I was just blown away by everything I was seeing. I got I got immersed into the world. I was like. I was like speaking uh, like the the language that that the characters would that the characters in Westeros would would speak, and it's it, it just it entranced me in a way that very few shows ever have, and so so we're very excited to watch the final season together, and once that debuted, 
uh you know episode one comes out eh, that's fine episode two okay episode three what the fuck was that episode four uh episode five are you fucking serious episode six you just wasted hundreds of hours of my life end of the show because i could not believe how terrible that last season was and that that's the most frustrating thing is that a final like not even a final uh season a final episode is so (sighs) important because that's the lasting late that's the lasting legacy of your show like uh uh, because like what we were talking about with 70s show earlier, season eight sucks, but the final episode is very worthwhile and is still worth watching because it honors it honors the show and it feels like a natural conclusion. But because every because season eight in general was a rushed mess and just everything was done wrong. And I, I don't I don't even know if George R. R. Martin is uh I I don't know if he ever spoke his thoughts on on season eight, but oh man, if I was in his position, I would just be like, what the fuck have you done? I mean you also you also have to remember Echo. As there's Echo again. I'm trying to fix that echo thing. But I mean you also have to remember I don't know where that goes coming from. Is it there? No, it's not. Oh, you're good okay. now. Well, you also have to remember that the writers of the show, Lucasfilm had contacted them into doing some Star Wars shit. So they're like, <laughs> all right, let's do this. So they try and rush through the most of the season. And then the season ends. It ends on such that it ends on the way it ends, unfortunately, only for the writers to be like, oh, yeah, we're not doing Star Wars anymore. So all well, that the- for nothing. Well, the, the frustrating thing was was that uh, I think George R. R. Martin envisioned like 12 seasons. And HBO was down to take it to at least 10. And so they they were constantly told, you can keep going, you know, or you can hand it off to other writers. And they just kept saying, nah, we got this. We got this. And, and they don't got it. And what was funny was that I think they were they were at some kind of uh, uh, some kind of junket, and they basically both Benioff and Weiss admitted how underqualified they were to handle a show like this, and I laughed my ass off. Like I'm pretty sure there's a video of it, and they they said like, "Yeah, we didn't know what we were really doing." Uh, <laughs> That's kind of embarrassing, actually. Like, to say and and you let these idiots dictate the final season of your most successful show. Yeah, that's and, pretty embarrassing. Well, because HBO needed Game of Thrones to succeed because that was their flagship property. Yeah. But because season eight left such a bad taste in everyone's mouth, people aren't going back to it. Because imagine how how many more subscriptions HBO would be selling if Game of Thrones had an incredible final season. Mm-hmm. And it just 
fell flat on its face. Yeah, people don't even long. talk about Game of Thrones anymore. Like, I've never watched yeah, the show. Was, so I don't really, so I I'm, not really so I'm not really attached to it, but like, get, like, fucking, it was everywhere. It used to be everywhere you looked when it was relevant. Yeah. Like, everybody would be talking about it. You know, it would be constantly, every time there's a new episode, it would be trending on Twitter. Like, everyone was always talking about it. Like, again, I don't even watch Game of Thrones, but like, I know so much of the shit that happens just because everybody was constant it was just surrounding me constantly like you know i know like i remember like i know tons of characters and you know i know you know peter dinklage i know who he is because of how how much his career shot up after uh, game of thrones call and me like, elf one more time <laughs> and like <laughs> he's an angry elf <laughs> personally i, I mean grew, i, I mean i, I can remember after, uh, fucking uh, days of future past but but yeah and then season eight happened and, and then just and flatlined. Yeah, flatlined yeah. in and afterwards. No one really gave a shit. And now there's supposedly a spinoff coming off, out. So and what was, no what was funny what was funny was that before the finale aired, like they uh they kept saying that, oh, we have like five different shows in development, then the finale happens. Oh, and we, oh we, we have three in development and we're shooting the pilot for one. And then the uh and then the pilot for uh, for that new show, because uh, I think even Naomi Watts was in it. Uh, the pilot doesn't get picked up, and so and then they say uh, we got one prequel. Please still like us. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah, it's just unfortunate. Just I mean, yeah, it's like yeah, Star Wars, and yeah, it's it's like you said, it's because of the rush production and. It's and also George R. R. Martin had written a book in like six and since like 2000, and he's just been lazy. You get that situation, it's very and like it could have been very much the same situation for Star Wars had it not been for the Mandalorian. And um, I kind of want to go back there because we, we've kind of only hinted at it, but how about that season two finale or just that entire season in general? Um, and then I know Reese, you really wanted to discuss this. So yeah, Reese, uh, I've, yeah, Reese, I've, I've been ranting like a maniac <laughs> for, for the last half hour. So the, the fair, floor is yours, man. Fair, this is the kind of conversation you should like expect from like all of us. Oh, yeah. like, this is all that's in our like natural habitat. This is totally unscripted. I mean, we have the ideas there, what to discuss, but like, but yeah, Reese. Uh, what overall? I, I mean, both me and Jeff pretty much agree that season, like the Mandalorian season two, was fucking gold. And I, sure, I'll say this on the air. I fucking jizzed every time <laughs> something amazing <laughs> happened. That <Perfect>. too, <laughs> but that too. But um, Reese, I imagine you had Reese. I imagine you fucking came like even harder than I did probably during the. Th- duration of that entire season am i wrong in assuming that or am i right so so before i go into that i actually i don't, I don't i'm not even sure if i want to talk about this because it's kind of it's kind of a bit of a it's kind of a slightly unpopular opinion but you know fuck it fuck it we'll do it live so <laughs> i'm kind of trying trying to find the words for it for it it's it, 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 it's actually, you know, it's actually going to tie right back in into Mando. But when it comes, because the thing is, when when something, when we find something that we dislike, we always, and this is just, this is a part of human nature. Everyone does it. We always want to find a scape, 
scapegoat. We always want to find out. We want we want someone or something to point the finger at to see like, oh, this is you know this is the source of all our problems. This is why, this is why thing is bad. And we and we do this with everything. We do this with film. We do this with politics. It's you know this is the course. This is just. This is just humanity. Uh, don't, in me, don't even get me started on politics for shit's sake, Jesus! But like, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, keep that everywhere. shit off this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I'm just. I'm. I'm just saying. We always. But we it's always, a general. We it's a general. Look, we always look for. We always look for. Re- we always look for a reason to um, to find out why something is the way is the way that it is. Absolutely, and, oh, yeah, for sure. And when it comes to Kathleen Kennedy, I'm genuinely mixed. I'm not on one side of the fence or the other, because like. On one hand, if if Kathleen if it was announced that Kathleen Kennedy uh, was fired, I honestly wouldn't give a shit because I mean she royally fucked up the trilogy. It wasn't exclusively her fault, but she played a very large role in the direction that trilogy went and just how unprepared in general the whole thing was. Right. Like even if like even if the trilogy was shitty, if it was if there was at least a plan in place, I don't think it would have had as much vitriol against it today that it currently has. I think it's because the whole thing was literally improvised like an episode of whose line is that anyways, only terrible. (laughs) (laughs) However, so I think it's important. I'm just thinking of some of the best things from the hat moments. (laughs) And then, and you know, and then you combine that with, you know, all the, you know, the behind the scenes drama with stuff like rogue one and solo and, you know, director turnovers, you know, we were just talking about that with Benioff and wise and stuff like that. And shit like that just isn't good at all. So if Ka- if Kathleen Kennedy was fired, I personally wouldn't wouldn't care at all that much. At the same time, though, I do think it's also important to look at people's successes as well as their failures. And while the trilogy was royally fucked over, you know, while there was a lot of behind the scenes drama, I also have to acknowledge that the reason that we got stuff like the Mandalorian, the reason why we got you know a return to the Clone Wars, that was you know Kathleen Kennedy played just as much of a role in that as she did Mm. in destroying the trilogy. And again, that's not to discredit, you know, the phenomenal work that John Favreau, that Dave Filoni did, that all the talent that they hired, you know, to write and direct um, and, you know, and shoot these episodes uh, and cast, not, not there to diminish that, you know, they very, that is very much their project. They did all that. But Kathleen Kennedy heard their pitch. She approved it. She supervised it. And yeah, which and that's pretty much the same thing that she did with all this. And so and so I am willing I am willing to give Kathleen Kennedy a chance moving forward because I have seen her, you know, do great things. However, I've also seen her doing some really shitty things. And so that's my whole rant on the side. Let's talk to about be fair, like every great artist has made the, like their own like mixed bags. I mean like Oh like, yeah. Tim Burton was Tim Burton had a renaissance. I mean Tim Burton had like his his highs and then like currently he's in his low period he may once again come back to doing some good stuff i'm like i mean every every great artist has been known to like have like ups and downs so it's possible yeah it's very possible that like kenny is having her own like ups and downs in this case but i mean like it's like you said you know she messed up with the trilogy but then again Mm -hmm. she also helped get us mandalorian uh she helped to get us get the clone wars back she helped to bring back helped to bring a bunch of other stuff together so like it's not so like there's still some good it's kind of like it's kind of like how i feel about like it's kind of like how i feel about some movies it's like as much as i want to hate on a certain certain movies i can't because like 
there's too much good in it for me to for for me to recognize like as much as batman v superman gets shit on like i find plenty of things in there that keep me from completely hating it and really liking that at least the ultimate edition i know the same can't be said for you guys but my point still stands like but you can do that with anything too and you can do that with any artist or any project that they've created so it's no i totally get what you mean reese for sure yeah and I, um, oh yeah sorry go ahead i was gonna say that being said though if you know i had you know the infinity gauntlet and i could just you know snap the new whoever the new uh, star wars shepherd in existence <laughs> I, I would probably choose dave filoni you do the snap you do the snap yeah. <laughs> okay I, I would probably choose dave filoni just because in terms of who works for lucasfilm right now he is the closest thing we have to a george lucas he is essentially george lucas's protege in a sense and so if there is someone who i would entrust to like give us a true you know authentic next generation of star wars it would be dave filoni uh for me personally but ultimately that would be something that dave filoni would have to decide and i'm not even sure if he would want to be in a position like that but anyways go on jeff yeah because I, I i was just gonna say uh you know because I'm, I'm like i'm not gonna say that every single decision kennedy has made has been the worst thing ever because because like you said you know clone wars wouldn't have come back if she didn't sign off on it and neither and neither would mando uh but i think her i think just uh i think uh because the sequel uh when disney bought lucasfilm what was the first thing that they announced the very first thing force awakens the sequel trilogy and that was the one thing that they had to get absolutely right and they had they had the money they had the resources they had the creative input and they could have consulted with george if if needed at all because no matter what you want to say about his writing he is still the he's still the mastermind of this universe so i don't think there's anyone that has a better fundamental understanding of these characters and this world. And the fact that it was so carelessly executed, I think is, it's like, uh, it's like a few golden nuggets, but it's still lumped into a pile of shit. You know, <laughs> yeah, I, to- I yeah, so, I totally so get classic. that. I you, totally no matter how that. much you polish it, you, a turd is still a turd. <laughs> exactly because, uh, because like you know, spinoffs are one thing, but but the tr- but the sequel trilogy that's the main course, and the main course, exactly. you know, it was overcooked to say the least. Because like because with the spinoffs, like those are more or less, uh, you know, like those are those are side quests essentially. But people are always going to come back to the main episodic films you know like if you're if you're showing star wars for for the first time you're going to watch the episodic films because those are the ones that are going to have the longest lasting legacy and if if just one of them fucks up then it's going to be talked about to death forever you know like you you know just like the, the phantom menace like that movie's over 20 years old and people and and like the failure of that movie is is still talked about to this day like it's never going to go away, and and the fact that it uh, it happened on three simultaneous occasions, even though things were looking okay with the Force Awakens, uh, the the second film needed to justify, uh, 
you know, the direction of this trilogy because Force Awakens played it so safe. And if the next film took the risks and told a good story and respected everything, respected the world of Star Wars, everything would be okay. And people would probably, uh, you know, people would probably have mature discussions on, on, on everything that would happen. But it was such a badly written movie. Even though there's like there's uh, kind of like Eric Eric said about uh, about about BVS, like there's little isolated moments that I can enjoy, but as but like I I can't help but just see things as as a whole and yeah. as as a whole, The Force Awakens is a shallow, uninteresting rehash the last jedi is a pretentious poorly written piece of shit movie and the rise of skywalker is a laughably it's just laughable honestly i know i, I don't have words for rise of skywalker like because i remember i remember sitting in the theater i was laughing like uh, like the like the the moment uh the moment Ray put her the fucking lightsabers together and Palpatine blew up, I was laughing. I was it laughing was, my ass I was, off. I was and like, yo, this is like it's like it's like fucking Revenge of the Sith again, where he's where he's like trying himself like I'm I'm too weak. But the but the difference is Revenge of the Sith is like he's purposely like trying to like he's you know he's purposely doing his in an act, but this time he's like reason. actually he's like actually killing himself. Like this isn't. This is dumb. This is stupid. <laughs> and okay, and and I will I will never forget this. During the at the end when <laughs> the moment she said Ray Skywalker, my theater groaned. <laughs> I'm not making this up. That. Half the audience groaned. And I'm like, okay, it's not just <laughs> me. My, my audience did like a pre-groan because like because like everyone saw it from from a mile away. Like there was people next to me like. Oh no, they're gonna do it, aren't they? Like someone said that someone I'm paraphrasing, but someone said that or something. But yeah. But yeah, like going from your point of view, like again, like I totally understand the point of view of like people that like want Kennedy out now. For me, I'm just indifferent. I don't really care too much either way. I think I think for me personally, it hinges on the Obi-Wan show. I think for me, if the Obi-Wan show turns out great, then I think it shows that okay, maybe the sequel trilogy was like a hiccup in the middle of the road and that these shows aren't exception aren't just exceptions to the rule. They're more so lessons learned. But I think of that Obi-Wan show, cause that Obi-Wan show has gone through a lot, you know, it has, it's gone through development hell to put it lightly. It, getting, yeah, getting absolutely. Off the ground. And you know, obviously COVID, you know, doesn't help with help with that, but even COVID aside, like this show has been, you know, just going through the gutter trying to get off the ground. And so, I think however that I think however that turns out is really how is where my is what's going to determine like my final thoughts on Kennedy. Right now I'm just kind of indifferent either way though. Well so so sense. at least with uh, in terms of Mandalorian it uh it at least reminded me why I like just just uh, being immersed in this universe and I never got that in the sequel trilogy because everything felt smaller uh, because the the prequels they showed off these beautiful 
new worlds and it helped create it helped expand the universe but in the sequels everything felt uh you know it's like jaku is the same thing as as tatooine yeah the, the, but with but with down walkers and star destroyers exactly like the the uh the fucking star killer base looks like hoth for some reason <laughs> Oh, it's just a bigger Death Star. <laughs> exactly. And that makes a difference to the laziness of its uh of its plot contrivance. And so I I think yeah. uh I, I just think the more good spin-off shows that come out going forward, you know, and just like the more I'm able to just put the sequel trilogy out of my mind because I I don't I don't own them on Blu-ray anymore. And I, you know, it's like, I, I just have, uh, I, I just have the, the six films and yeah. I, I even own up a, a Blu-ray edition of the despecialized versions of the original trilogy. Ooh, the Army editions. I need to get my hands on those. Do yeah, I'll, I'll send you an eBay link. Cause, uh, cause you, the, so the ones I got, they're, uh, the bonus features are fucking amazing. Like they, each one of them includes the the Family Guy specials, uh, like uh, all the all the sketches from Robot Chicken that uh, that relate to that uh, to whatever episode you're watching. Uh, it has like the Chris Stuckman and Jeremy Johns review. I think there's a Red Letter Media review on there somewhere. I think it has uh, a bunch of buy product and consume more product. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Star Destroyers, I'm uh, gonna come. Okay, <laughs> I think. Okay, let's talk um, about the Mandalorian. Just, we've gotten we've gotten so yeah. off track. Let's. Oh my <laughs> god, yeah. And this is well, this is. But again, again, this is what it's expected with the three of us because we haven't spoken in a long time either. But because I, at this point, I'm like, dude, can we talk about something else? I'm getting tired of Star Wars, quite frankly. <laughs> but anyways, Mandalorian, Reese, I want to hear your Mandalorian thoughts. God damn it. Uh yeah, uh Mandalorian. It's really it's like really fucking good. The the first thing the first thing that I did after I finally finished Mando season two is like, wow, sequel trilogy. What sequel trilogy? This is the new this is the new Star Wars story going forward that I care about. Um, but yeah, um, I think I think what I especially love about the man because like season one was very much on its own. Season two, uh, you know, it starts to take you know it starts to take in more elements from you know pre established. Star Wars universe, like, you know, obviously you have Luke appearing at the end, uh, but then you also have, like, more major elements that are going to play a role moving forward, like Bo-Katan and Ahsoka Tano and stuff like that, and I was worried that having uh, elements like, oh, and Boba Fett, of course, who's also getting his own spinoff, but um, I was kind of worried going in that having all of these cameo characters going in, I, I don't know if you watch Hello Greedo, but he kind of shared a lot of my same sentiments with with his concerns for Mando season two, you where, were afraid that essentially it would uh, like overshadow the main story, like it yeah, would take away would, from the main. Where it would be, where it would, would be more focused. It. it would, it would almost shrink the size of the universe. Where it would be relying, mm -hmm. where it would be relying not on good storytelling and character building, but more on cameos and fun references and stuff like that. Well, I think because it was Dave Filoni and and John Favreau that he they both really had an idea of like. This is how they're going to fit, and it'll work in a way where, like, they add to the story. And I think that's why they work so well. Yeah, and yeah, and after finishing Mandalorian season two, like, all of those concerns were just 
completely uh completely swiped away um yeah i thought all the returning characters were handled fantastically um they even have really interesting arcs going forward like i'm very curious to see um uh bo katan uh bo katan's relationship with uh din jaren the mando himself you know they're you know obviously mm-hmm. at the end of the season they're you know they end it's on the dark saber, big, yeah. yeah they end on quite a big cliffhanger and i assume season three is going to be about you know taking back um the actual uh mandalorian homeworld, which is kind of what they kind of what they set up so yeah, I'm genuinely, genuinely curious to see where that goes. And also, also, quick side note: How fucking cool is it that Katie Sackoff, uh, who also voiced her role in the Clone Wars, she uh, came gets back to, to physically portray the character? Yeah. Like, how how cool is that? But anyways, mm-hmm. yeah, and um, and this is another thing that Jeff and I were talking about in chat before you know he told me about the podcast. But my favorite episode, because a lot of people you know are obviously talking about Episode Eight because of the Luke Skywalker reveal. And, you know, how cool and badass that was and the terrible CG face. But um, my favorite episode. <laughs> I'm not the only one. <laughs> oh, man. I was so thrown off by that face. But keep going. But my, fa- my favorite episode is actually the episode right before that in episode seven. That was my favorite episode of the oh, season. Oh, was- you, really, you really like the Bill Burr episode? Oh, dude, I, I, th- dude, I think Bill Burr is fucking great. Like, this is coming from a guy who... He fuck. I mean, Bill Burr, if you've heard like, first of all, he's a comedic genius, like one of the best comedians out there. But like, if you if you heard him talk about Star Wars, he's like, the fuck are you talk about Star Wars? I don't believe in that shit. I didn't grow up with it. You go fuck off. You do that. Whatever. But like the way John Favreau approached him to do it, it's like he fucking works like because it's not really it's it's he's doing his version of Star Wars in a way where like there's not really any like jedi involved or anything it's almost like they're, they're almost like mini crime dramas almost that's what i mean I hey like. i mean hey alan mcginnis fucking despised star wars 2 and he ended up playing one of the most beloved characters in the entire saga so <laughs> i know so that's that's always interesting yeah I, I i mean like i mean that was also like one of the most intense moments was like when mando had to like take off his helmet and you know the rule is like you know you're not no living being shall ever see his face and like, what's Bill Burr's character's name again, real quick? Oh, I can't remember. I can't remember his name. But well, either way, episode, I just love how he's like he gives him back the helmet and goes, "I never saw your face." Yeah, that whole episode. So, because I, I watched the season twice, I watched it once on my own, and then uh, I watched it again with uh, with my mom. I'm a, I'm actually uh, making her watch the Clone Wars right now. Funny. Oh enough. my god, she, I Jeff, can't get my gonna, mom to watch. Jeff, she's gonna finish Clone Wars before Clone you. Wars. I know. Damn it. <laughs> Dang it. I can't get yeah, yeah. I just can't but, get around um, watch anything Star Wars. But yeah, watching, <laughs> but yeah, watching, yeah, but yeah, watching that episode in particular again. Like, there's so like it's such a well directed episode. I gotta give huge props to uh, I want to say Ron of uh, uh, Fukurama. I can't I can't remember his name. I believe Rick it's Ron Fumi Famiyuma. Rick Famiyuma, thank you. Yeah, he al- he also directed a couple of season one episodes. But um, but this was, I believe, the only episode he directed in season two, and yeah, I thought he did a phenomenal job just setting everything up, uh, particularly with the theming of everything, because there's so there's so much foreshadowing to that particular um, scene in the break room, you know, with you know with him and Bill Burr yeah, and the very Imperial, Imperial very Captain. Yeah. There's so much. There's so much foreshadowing that leads to that moment with like Bill Burr talking about like about like you know you know 
you know, surviving, you know, it's not about having a code of conduct. It's about, you know, it's about bending the rules to the point where you're able to sleep at night. And then it all, it just all comes together so nicely. And it's just, it not only plays a role in the overall season and how it advanced the story, but it's just a, such a fantastic individual story on its own contained. And that, and that I think is like what a perfect TV episode does. It should be an episode that stands on its own that also, contributes to an overarching story at least when it comes to drama you know with sitcoms obviously you know self-contained stories you know episode arcs doesn't really matter too much but in terms of like dramatic tv i think that's what it does the best and yeah huge props to rick can we also uh, point out real quick that yeah go on i was just gonna can you just point out real quick that like i love how the mandalorian episodes are like they're as long as they there is you know how like a lot of tv shows are like they're either half hour or like um 40 minutes you know or an hour long but the mandalorian like episodes are like all bets are off at the running time like they're as long as the story needs it to be so like some of the best episodes are only like 32 minutes and then there are some episodes that are like 40 or 50 odd or an hour odd minute hour long episode like they do not give a shit about what how long the episode is all they care about is how the story is told or how the story is paced like like the, if, if it happens to be an hour long so be it if it happens to be 30 minutes so be it and yeah, it tells and it's still able to tell it in a way where it's succinct to the point and it's well paced well acted the it's like the story is on point and yeah they don't time yeah, they, they adapt they adapt the, the story to the episode they don't and mm-hmm. they don't do it vice versa it's not like okay we need to fill up this amount of a lot of time what can we make happen it's like no this is the story we're trying to tell how it we're gonna we're gonna take as much or as little time as we need to do that, and as Which and is as kind a result, of the problem like, with some other shows too. But yeah, yeah, and and as, and as a result, like even you know even the filler episodes, like I think you know episode two, I think is what I would call the big filler episode of the show, which was uh, directed by uh, Peyton Reed, who also directed the finale of Ant Man fame. But yeah, but yeah, that's kind of this this kind of like almost alien esque episode where you know you have like the spiders chasing him. That's kind of the big filler episode. But even that episode is a pretty entertaining episode on its own right with, you know, some really fun moments mm-hmm. and set pieces and stuff like that. And a fantastic Dave Filoni cameo. But, um, but yeah, those are my thoughts on the Mandalorian. Um, I can't wait for season three. Um, I can't wait. To, I, I can't wait to see more of Tamora Morrison in book of Boba Fett. Um, yeah, it was great. It was great seeing him again. It was great seeing. I'm just great to see Boba char- actually have a character for once too. Yeah. I'm just a simple man making my way in the galaxy like my father before me. I was like, yes! I was Give like, me that. I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it, folks. That is part two of the Reese special. And yeah, that's quite a doozy. There's a lot of things to unravel, especially with what Jeff said. Um, a lot of it is uh, has been echoed throughout most of what has been going on with the state of Star Wars, and it's very much rings too true. <laughs> Whoops! Uh, in regards to Game of Thrones, like it, it sucks because I, you know, I, I wasn't really into Game of Thrones, and I was interested in checking it out, but then I found out just how bad of a finale it was, and I was like, yeah, I don't know, uh, do I really want to watch a show that has a bad finale going into it? So I'm just, mm, it's rough, but. Anyways, when we return to the Reese special, 
um, we get a little religious or more like we talk about cults for a minute. And then um, I'm not sure what we talk about after that, but I'm sure I will figure that out when I piece that one together. But in the meantime, uh, thanks for listening to today's special. Be sure to follow Two Nerds Gays in a Podcast at our official Instagram page over at TNAPCAST. That's T-N-A-A-P-C-A-S-T. And of course, follow us on, subscribe to the YouTube channel and uh, like and comment on our videos. And we do read them and uh, it'll help us give us some suggestions for future stuff. And we're always eager to see what uh, listeners have to say. So that too. And of course, if you're also on Apple Podcasts, be sure to subscribe. If you're on Spotify, be sure to subscribe. So yeah. Uh, We will see you for other future installments and, of course, the return of the Reese special uh, once I've figured that out. But in the meantime, this is Eric saying stay shiny, everyone. See you around.